Also, if uh, at any point you see me going off camera, it's because I have my toilet paper roll that I'm blowing my nose with. Because, of course, on the day that we're doing a doubleheader is when I sound like Squidward from SpongeBob. So uh, (laughs) just how it goes. What's up, everyone? I'm Alex Lieberman. Yo, this is Jesse Pucci. And this is The Crazy Ones. What's up, Crazy Ones listeners? This is Alex. Hello, hello. This joined is Jesse. With, joined by uh, my co-pilot, Jesse. As I promised last episode, we're going to be trying some new shit this year. And this is uh, this is a new format we're going to try out and see how it lands. So after you've listened to the episode, shoot us an email at thecrazyonesatmorningbrew.com and let us know what you think. Rather than the classic style of three topics, 45-minute roundtable discussion, we're going to focus on one thing, go deep in that. And then uh, make sure you listen to next episode, that comes out because we're trying a new format there where we introduce a guest. So let's do this damn thing. Here we go. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, so I posted or tweeted a tweet um, two or three weeks ago. And it was titled, Eight Self-Hating Beliefs That I've Reframed Into Self-Love. And I I wrote this thread because I'm a journaling guy now, and I've been journaling for the last uh, month or so, and it's been great. And one of the topics was... I can't get into journaling, by the way, just a sidebar. I couldn't for the first 29 years of my life. And then I, I don't know what... I really believe in like uh, habits that have a trickle-down effect, so... I've gotten really into health and wellness over the last two or three months, got a nutritionist, got a trainer. My whole view was like, if I could get disciplined about my food and exercise, it would have an impact on other things. So this may be mental or not, but now I've gotten into the habit of journaling after that happened. How'd you get into Um, it? Like, what'd you do? How did I get into journaling? Yeah. I, um, I went online, I searched, uh, journaling prompts. I also just brainstormed some prompts. I made a note with 50 prompts so that it decreased the friction where every day I don't have to think about a new thing to write about. Mm. I put a 30-minute block on my calendar every morning where I turn my phone on, the Freedom app, can't even do anything on my phone. It's useless. And so then I just write for 30 minutes. I have my seat right by our window that looks out of our place. You see the the New York City skyline. And I just write for 30 minutes. What's the app called? I got to get that app. Oh, freedom is great. So it's um, it's on your computer or your phone. You basically make a a uh, blacklist of all of the things that steal your attention. So, text message, Slack, certain websites, certain social media apps. And so then I go to the app every day during times of focus. I hit like start, and you select the time, and you go to access any of these things. And it basically just comes up with the freedom screen saying that you've been freed. <laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, that's so that's helpful. how I got. It. That's helpful. I'm gonna try. And then what do you do with the journaling? Do you do anything or you just learn? I haven't done anything with it other than it forces me to be reflective. I've saved all of them in in Evernote. And the range on these is crazy. It's like I've got everything from what are all the ways I think of business ideas. And for 30 minutes straight, I just jotted down every way I could find business ideas to what are the fondest memories of my dad to if I wanted to write a Pixar movie. And the the one rule is it has to have a a lesson as a through line through the whole movie. 
write a short movie. And mm. so I've done all three of those in the last week. And uh, it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, sorry. Go back to your. So you, you wrote about self-hating versus self-loving beliefs. Yeah. And I, you know, I wrote about this because I, I think I've told you about this, but right after I moved out of the CEO role for Morning Brew, I would say I was like kind of the most self-deprecating and self-conscious I'd been in my life. I like totally lost my swagger. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of my journey was like figuring out what were all these self-limiting beliefs I've had. And so I wrote them down and then I've tried to figure out like, how do I turn those actually into things that serve me in my life? So I, uh, should we just run through them and uh, just see where it yeah, takes us? Yeah, one quick thing before we do those, like I, I, like self-limiting beliefs. I don't know, should we spend a minute on that? Like, why do people have them? Or like, what's your, I, I have yeah. my thoughts and experience with it, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually will explain what I think my self-limiting beliefs are. Like they all fall into a similar bucket, which is in my professional life, I have an image of the people who I look up to mm -hmm. that I want to be more like. And I think my comparison to these people from like the best entrepreneurs of all time, like the Musk and the, the Bill Gates to even my co-founder, Austin, right? these have always been my reference points. And I think the reason I care a lot about being more like them, honestly, just goes back to like when I was younger and not feeling like I belonged. Right. And so like I need that validation from the people that I really want to emulate. And um, so my self-limiting beliefs, I think all are bucketed into things that I feel like these people have that I don't have, mm. which means I am not enough. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that I've told you about the upper limit problem stuff, right? Have I ever tell you that? There's this, this book. Uh, I think you have, but but just define it again. Yeah, so there's this book called The Big Leap. I mean, one of the big things with all these upper limiting beliefs is is like, and I've never done therapy, but I've done, obviously been coached heavily, which is very similar. And now a lot of it is you just explore your childhood and, and sort of different things you learned. What, by the way, one time I asked my coach, I'm like, if you wanted to change someone's life the most you could in the shortest period of time, what would you do? And he had a very good answer. And it was... What was it? I would you know, in the first, you have 30 minutes and you have to change someone's life. He goes, I'd spend the first five to 10 minutes trying to, to drill down. And every human has basically one to three core beliefs that were like ingrained to you as children in some way or another through some set of trauma experiences could be anything. Right. And then I would try to get them to see that the opposite of that belief is just as valid as their belief. Like try to get them to basically like, like go, not that they don't have to, they, they don't have to stop believing it, but they have to see that like another way could be wrong. So for me, for example, one of them was like, you know, immigrant parents, like uh, my dad was a businessman. It's like money is success, security, money is good. Money is, and, and he like drilled into it and he's like, but you know, there's people who make less than you or have less than you that feel way more secure, way more happy, way more successful. And I'm like, yeah, you're like, I totally saw it intellectually and he's trying to get me to believe it, uh, you know, insides. And that was really hard. Like it was just really, Oh, really that's hard. always the hardest thing, right? It's like rationally, like it takes so much time for the body to actually catch up to the brain yeah, when it comes totally. to knowing what probably is right for us. But yeah, but anyway, so so I think a lot of limiting beliefs come from there. And then and then the upper limit problem, there's this book called The The Big Leap. And the way that he frames it's super cool. He basically says like in your childhood, your like happiness or whatever satisfaction thermostat is set by your parents and, and caretakers, by by a whole series of different things. Anytime you get above your temperature of happiness, you will actually do things like self-sabotage or, you know, a series of behaviors 
to bring yourself back into the zone that is actually feels comfortable for you. And and you'll do the opposite too. Like if if you go into if you have a really bad set of events happen to you, you'll do these things to bring yourself up, right? But but the the more common thing is, hey, I'm like and there's all these fundamental beliefs, I'm not worthy I'm not supposed to be here. If I do this, like yep. that's going to abandon my family. There's four. I forget exactly what they are. But, and once you learn this framework, at least for me, I then notice it everywhere. A really good thing happens in my life and I, I start to worry about something bad. It is going to, anything that brings you down a little bit. And so I think the core yeah. of self-limiting beliefs are actually, in my, my opinion, the upper limit problem. I call them like my, some of my friends who know this framework and I will text, I'll start texting you going, I'm upper limiting today. Like things are going <laughs> well and, and I'm, I'm creating things to be worried about or I'm, the thoughts going through my head totally. are bringing me back down as opposed to enjoying being up and being high. It is that is it's such a classic thing that I've uh experienced like even recently I've generally felt like things are are going well like I feel good really good about the direction of the show, I feel really good about just like my family, I feel good about the the stuff that I'm building on the side, I feel good about morning brew and always the first thought that comes to me is things are too good. Yep. Things are too good right the now. Other shoe gonna drop. Something bad, something bad has to happen. And and honestly, like one of the and I think the place where something bad happens, like where my brain goes, is like it has to be something with my health. Right. Like my health. There's gonna be something that comes up with my health because everything's too good right now. And but even that things, worry, just to be clear, even that worry you have is a form of you upper limiting yourself. Totally. You, you, even if the bad thing never happens, the fact that you're you're giving cycles to worry about is like, oh, I can't be this happy. I I gotta lower this a little bit. It's too good. And yeah, I think it's it's a so really powerful, once you learn it, uh, and I wrote a thread about it on Twitter at some point, it's such a powerful paradigm because you'll notice it all the time. And the I mean, small example, someone gives you a compliment and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's not me. It's not. It's, it's somebody else. You'll you'll misdirect that well, or push it to someone else. I, I, w- I want to go into some of these like self-limiting beliefs in a second. But what is your strategy now for basically when you know you are upper limiting? to not have it hold you back like what do you do yeah well so the the book actually has stuff and i did this for probably a year he has a mantra and you know i could probably remember it because i reminded myself of it twice a day and it was like i am like it's some affirmation right it's like i am successful in i'm i'm successful in my you know i'm happy with my success and letting other people be more successful and i want to bring more love and success into the world or something along the lines of like kind of raising yourself to being like it's okay to have that that thing I think typically if I notice it, it's, it's typically like I'm feeling threat from somewhere. I'm scared and I'll just, I'll usually do some breathing um, mm-hmm. or I'll just try to say it. Like even just going, Oh, I think I'm up. Early. Like I, I think I'm, I'm trying to bring myself down right now instead of enjoying totally. it. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Right, let's get into yours. Let's, let's do it. Um, there's eight of them, but um, because you are now in my brain the chronic late person and we only have 28 minutes left and I am, publicly shaming you to see if that leads to behavioral change over the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to just pick the best ones or the ones that you find most interesting. So I'm going to start. And and once you feel like we've covered one, it's fine. Just like be like, we're done with that. We'll move on to the next For one. For the record, you needed to record two episodes and therefore we moved up an hour <laughs> into an otherwise busy schedule. Uh, yes, but a commitment was made to that time. <laughs> it's so funny. I say this also in jest because I, I, not to say you're late in other things you do, but for the longest am, period of, by the way, for what it's okay, worth, okay. So. I, I didn't know, but for the vast, I would say for the first 25 years of my life, I was always late and I don't remember actually what happened, but like there were a few events that happened that I started really feeling bad about the impact it had on other people. So this is only a change in the last year before that. 
I was incredibly selfish with my time. Yeah. Um, okay. So first belief, great entrepreneurs must be deeply opinionated to lead well and take big swings. And so then the self-critique I have of myself is I don't have strong enough opinions or enough contrarian views. And so like that was, a, I would say, something that I've always felt, felt self-conscious about because within the context of Morning Brew, I always felt like my co-founder seemed way stronger in his views than I was. Mm. And it always made me wonder if I didn't have enough strong views, uh, does that mean the vision for the company wouldn't end up being mine because I'm not standing for enough things or for right. enough points of view. And so how'd you change that to self-love? Yeah, so the way that I've thought about it or reframed it is I'm open-minded and that actually is a huge benefit because it creates safety for others. People know when they talk to me that I'm not gonna judge what they're gonna say. I'm not gonna say it's wrong up front. I'm gonna try to think through it with them and that I have the capability of taking bets once I'm informed and they're needed and I don't have to have a strong view on everything. Hmm. And, and what I'll say is like this plays into like a broader framework that I think of that I think there's this kind of like x-axis and y-axis. I think there's a y-axis of you're either highly opinionated at the top or weakly opinionated at the bottom. And then the x-axis is on the far right, you're closed-minded and on the far left, you're open-minded. And so I think most people fall into two of these whatever you want to call mm -hmm. quadrants i can't remember geometry or math or whatever um first i think people are either very close-minded and strongly opinionated mm -hmm. or open-minded and weakly opinionated and my view is the sweet spot is kind of the old adage of strong opinions loosely held but right. i think it's very hard to achieve and i felt self-conscious that i sit in the open-minded weakly opinionated quadrant hmm do you think you actually sit in that though? I don't feel like I have that strong of views, and I get very self conscious about it. Hmm. What what what's been your experience with me? I don't, I mean I think you have quite a few perspectives. I think you lived through a lot, and you maybe your the way you're defining perspective. Like I think that's another thing we do. People like entrepreneurs beat themselves up on is like I had this period too where I was like I don't have a passion. Like Bill Gates was passionate about software. <laughs> And somebody was passionate about flowers and somebody was passionate. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a passion. What's up with that? Like, and, and it took me a long time to go, no, like I do. It's like business entrepreneurship. It's leadership. It's people. Like, it's just not a, it's not like a thing. It's not a specific product or, or, or product. So I feel like you have opinions. They may just not be on the future of journalism. Maybe they are, totally. I mean, but, but you walked in with a lot of predictions last time we chatted and you have perspective on how certain people do things or how they want to live their life or, or what to do around different problems and situations. Um, so I'm not yeah. even sure I agree with the, with the, the premise. And again, maybe some of it comes back to like, we're always anchoring based off of other people right. that, and so it's like, maybe even just my co-founder sits far on the spectrum. And so relative to him, I don't feel like I'm far, right. but that doesn't necessarily mean I don't have opinions. Yeah, I think that's a huge. Like, yeah. I mean, one of the things you know, I've I've told you, like Nick and I obviously worked together for twenty years, including starting Ampush, and you know, there's a lot of now he's working on something and I'm working on something separately, and there's him and I are still best friends, so we'll talk a lot and we'll go, man, I didn't know I had this gear in me because you were always doing that gear, and I always thought I didn't have that gear, and now I have it, and he's like, I can sell Jesse, like, but I'm sitting next to you, and you're such a good salesperson that like I always it, let you sell, and so I think th th there's a ton so of that true. sort of relative to your co-founder, especially. To, to your point, it's like something that I've 
found is like a consistent thing that's said to me when I'm just helping other founders work through challenges is they always are like, wow, it's fascinating how your brain works, like your ability to break down these problems in such a clear and simple way. And the reason I say that is is not to brag. It's actually because for the longest time, I felt like I didn't think about things in a analytical enough or simple enough way because right. my view was like, that's always what my co-founder was great at. Mm. And so it's just very interesting when you pull yourself, you create a little bit of distance from your business, what you find. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, what's um, the next one? Okay, number two, the belief is you must be a horse with blinders, maintaining deep focus for a long time. Mm. The self-critique I have of myself is I'm distracted to the point of procrastination and lack of prioritization. And the reframe is I'm creative and always think of new ideas. This can be maximized if I find a great operator. But what I'll say is like, I feel like part of me is like playing it safe and shorting myself by saying this can be maximized if I find a great operator. Right. I'm basically just assuming I'm shitty at focus. I'm shitty at operating. And so I need someone else. Like, I feel like that is the easy cop out. Right, 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 right. Oh, this is such a good one for me. I have the same, same exact one. Have you ever done the Enneagram? No. Oh, dude, we got to get you to the Enneagram and talk. Okay, Enneagram I'll do it. On the, on the yeah, yeah, it's been it. a crazy tool. It's like, you know, as you, I like MBTI also, Myers-Briggs. Have yeah, you done my, I haven't done that you, either. You no. done that. Oh, man, you would love these things. We should do an episode of just doing these tests. Yeah, yeah. I'm, we use MBTI a ton at Ampush. Um, and then my coach introduced me to Enneagram. And that's like, you know, my type. It's, it's so interesting. It's a funny story. It's like I took I, I took it the thing. And my type is like a it's called the enthusiast. It's like excited, loves a shiny object, gets excited and then like kind of falls off or like gets distracted easily, phrase easily. And like literally the examples they gave, some of them are like, you're the kind of person who goes to an ice cream restaurant or like an ice cream store and you have to order two flavors because you yep. can't just settle on one. And I literally, I do that to this day or like my entire I, life, I've bought my wife two cards for every occasion because I'm like, well, like I want a funny one, but I also like want a one that's like really sweet and I always bought her two. She has two cards for every single occasion. At first, I thought you said two cards. I'm like, wow, you're a good husband. Nah, two cards. <laughs> uh, one goofy. Anyway. Uh, and it's so funny because my brother-in-law did it. And he's the same type as me. He's also an entrepreneur. And we had a phone call about it. It was like kind of happened around the same time. And I was like, oh, God, I'm never going to be successful. I don't know how to focus. You clearly have to focus. Look at look at all these people. Exactly. Look at Bill Gates. Like they're all these billionaires. Yeah, we've, we've clearly thought about not. the same things, but you've explored it more. And he, dude, but hold on, this is the best part. He was like, I don't know if he talked first or I talked first. He's like, I'm so excited. This is who I am. Like, I, I, and he started really. He flipped it completely on its head, and it sort of blew my mind. He was like, I need to figure out a way to take advantage of this unique enthusiasm and ideation I have because this is who I am, and I want to build a business that like. I want to help myself figure these things out to be this way. I'm going to like lean into this. This is a strength, not a weakness. And so it's just so funny because it's the exact same thing. It was just one of us viewed it as a strength. One of us viewed it as a weakness based on some stories we held about what's what. And I think it's, I think it's a real one. I, I do think the, I don't know, a lot of this, like a lot of self-hating and self-love is about grace with yourself and just being comfortable being like, this is who I am. I mean, a lot of Gateway X was designed around this issue. And I find myself, I've told my coach, I'm like, this is way better. Dude, when I was running Ampush, I would distract the hell out of the team because yeah. I would come up with new ideas and like, <clears throat> let's go do this. Everyone go in this direction. They'd be like, Jesse, yeah. we just went in this direction. What are you talking about? Yeah, you and I are so similar in that regard. 
And so I'd say the setup today, like having the right types of people around me in those leadership roles, I sent you like the the investor overview we did for Kahani and it was all, it was all knack. It was all the COO who's like, he's a badass. Like he put that together, but he's, we're just very different. Like our, our strengths are in, in very different places. So I don't think it's a cop out. I don't know. I don't think it's a cop out. Yeah. And I think there's probably a reason that the way I'm thinking about like, what is chapter two of my career look like is quite similar in structure to what you've done with gateway just well, because by the way, one me, thing that might like i saw rick elias do this and it might help you circle the square is just because you're not the person who has to quarterback everything doesn't mean you're not the person who drives accountability throughout the organization yeah so that's a big difference i still to all the things are accountable i look at the numbers i ask people my questions about yeah the explain what that actually means in practice yeah, I, I, I mean, I saw Rick do it. It's like he, he's just, he's lets people run with things and drives them, and he's he's looking over everything. But you, you spend time with him. He'll look at your PNL in fifteen minutes, and he'll ask you ten hard hitting questions, or yeah. he'll ask you your priorities, and you'll have a very clear sense for the priorities. So he sets the tone for culture and and what's important and what's not important, and what are the expectations. And so I, I don't think, I, I think that is still an important part to retain as a leader. If you want to, you know, Elon has to do those. I mean, clearly, he must have lots of people around him doing all the day to day stuff, but. Totally. He doesn't absolve himself from that stuff. And so I think that, that at least for me, is how I circled the square on this one. Um, I like that. And didn't give myself the cop out. I'm just like, no, I'm still accountable. Totally. Okay, so first one, the first one you don't actually agree with. You think I have opinion. Second one, you think the building the infrastructure around yourself so that it respects kind of all this energy and creativity um, actually has validity to it. Uh, third one. And hold on, is... second one, one of the last thing just for anyone listening, there is a spectrum to these things, right? Like if you're so afraid, you can't, like I've met entrepreneurial people on Twitter, they'll tweet me and they have 10 ideas in 10 days and they yeah. don't make progress on any of them. Like that's an extreme version of the same type seven behavior. Like my type is a type seven, the enthusiast. The other extreme is you or me. Like we've started companies like we've, we've like, so we need to hone ours and kind of like improve it and be mindful of it. But it's not so crazy that it needs a, a whole wholesale change. Yeah. It ma- it makes me uh, think of like the kind of the age old question of like, do you spend time strengthening your strengths or strengthening your weaknesses? And my view has always been you triple down on your strengths and you improve your weaknesses them, just yeah. enough so that they don't hold you back from your strengths. Totally. Or from what you um, want. Okay. Exactly. Number three, the belief is being an entrepreneur means spending time on things you don't enjoy. The self-critique is I don't work hard on things that are not interesting to me. The reframe is my body keeps the score and allows me to get excited about the journey when the destination aligns with my values. And so just to give context here, by the time that I had transitioned out of the CEO role at Morning Brew in April of 2021, very honestly, I was working less hard on the business. I'd say part of it was because I was dealing with my own things in life, anxiety, OCD, but also part of it was I felt like I lost some of that fire that propelled me in the early days and I wasn't sure why. And I, at least one of the ways I thought about it is I just wasn't loving the work that I was doing and I couldn't motivate myself to do it. And it was a mind fuck for me because in the past, even if I didn't love the thing I was doing, I still worked really hard on it. I still had that fire. Right. And so then I guess my question is like, how do you think about when you not enjoying doing the thing still war- warrants you working hard on it versus when it may actually be a really good sign that you're not working on the right thing anymore? Oof, getting deep here. I mean, you, so <laughs> so the thing I was taught, which I very much subscribed to and I had a similar experience to you is there's five types of motivators. 
there's fear, there's extrinsic money titles, there's intrinsic, like beating your own score. There's play genius, which is like, oh, this is just fun. I'm having a blast. And then there's like love. And it's sort of like the empathic love. It's like the love of the human experience, helping the human experience. Mm -hmm. And we all use all of them all the time. Uh, But we tend to default to a few of them. And especially entrepreneurs, we're, you know, we love fear. We just, we're, we're addicted to it, right? The example, the, the most classic example is like Travis Kalanick, like chip on his shoulder. He's got to prove himself to the world, right? And one of the things that happens is when you have success for entrepreneurs, you go, I don't feel scared anymore. So, so different people do different things. Like, you know, some people go, I got to set the number higher. I'm going to keep setting the number higher because, oh, I'm, not, I'm I'm fine here, but I got to look to that guy who makes all this money. I'm, I'm not that guy yet. And in, or in Travis Kalanick's case, some people would say he subconsciously sabotaged his way out of this job. Like he really, he hurt himself to the so point where he had to start another company and he had to, had to do it again. And so fear is the most common. By the way, it's the most effective. So I'm not judging fear, right? So fear is considered the most effective? Yeah, you put a gun to your head. You're going to run faster than you've ever yeah. run. But the, the downsides of fear are that they leave a negative residue on you and others. And they're not sustainable, right? And like they, they use Bill Gates as this example. He was the fear-driven guy. And then he became the richest man in the world. I was like, I'm bored. And then he jumped all the way to empathic love. I'm going to go cure polio. That's the that's what's next for me. And that's what has sustained him actually longer than Microsoft sustained him. So the other downside of fear is it's not sustainable. And so when I, when I hear you know your version of this like, hard work and all these various things. It's like, well, you know, especially first time entrepreneurs, anyone listening, like we did everything and anything. I did anything and everything you did it because all we were like, I have to be successful. I'm so scared. This is going to fail. It doesn't matter. I'll grind through anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I don't know that there's another way to do it. Maybe if you're super uh, meditative, whatever, I think as you think about the second time journey, it, it, it has to change. It has to change. If it either, yeah. well, there, there's, there's two doors. I think people choose. One is, Dude, Alex, why aren't you a billionaire, bro? Like, what's up, man? Come on. Look at look at all these other guys. There's some Zuckerberg was worth like 10 times you by the time. Right. And you're like, oh, I must beat Zuckerberg. And you get even bigger fear. No, seriously, I think a lot of people use yeah. it. A lot of people motivate themselves that way. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying it, it has the same. It, that's the way they create sustainability is they keep moving the goalposts. What I've tried to choose, and I'm not perfect. I choose fear all the time or I end up in fear constantly. But the thing I've tried to make more of is player genius and in some ways empathic, you know, the, the love, the like what what human experience can I improve? Can I teach other people how to be great leaders? Can I coach my like Gateway X CEOs? That really lights me up. And then the play genius stuff, like the best example I can think of there is Warren Buffett, who like clearly the guy just loves what he does. You know, he doesn't care about the money. He's like, oh, this is fun. I get to think about companies. I get to run this thing. I'm just, I wake up every day. I eat McDonald's and I do my thing. And so I think a lot of where I've spent time with Gateway X and I've, it's a little scary. You have to trust it is truly trusting that the things that make me, that I enjoy my zones of genius are, if I do them really well, they're going to lead to a lot of success. And I don't need yep. to look at the books in the business. Cause I don't, I mean, I look at the books, but I don't need to keep the books in the business. Cause that's boring for me. I don't need totally. to set the investor materials together. Cause that's boring. This is not what I want to do. And so I have to solve for it and know that it's important, but I also have to trust that if I don't do it and I actually do the things that, that bring me joy and my genius. And I think theoretically, if a first-time entrepreneur could do that, they would also be very successful. It's just so hard. 
Yeah, it's just not as realistic. Yeah. And I think also it's why just is it it's so important to find the right people to surround yourself with because this only works if you find the people to do the things that you don't totally. want to do. I, we we should honestly do an entire episode, whether it's like journal style or whatever, on Zone of Genius because I feel like there's so much to talk about there. Yeah. I want to cover two more of these before we uh, hop to the, the second part of our uh, doubleheader. Fourth belief is a great CEO must scale from idea to IPO. And the self-critique is, I didn't scale from zero to 100, so I am not great. The reframe is, I love finding problems and building from scratch to flex my strengths, which are creativity, marketing, and sales. And I'm grateful to have partners who are A-plus stage two CEOs. Now, just like to provide a little bit of color there, like I said before, I felt like a huge failure after moving out of the CEO role, CEO role for Morning Brew. I had this story of what it meant to be a great CEO. You have an idea, you create a product, you prove that the product has value in the world, you scale that product into a business, and you take your business public. And because I didn't do that, I didn't feel like I was a successful founder or CEO. And even to this day, when I'm feeling my most self-conscious, I'll ask myself, have I said to the world and to myself that I love doing the zero to one because I actually love doing it or because it protects me like from the reality yeah. that I'm just not great at scaling a company. Hmm. Yeah. Are you not great at scaling a company? Um, I think the, actually the short answer is, is I don't think I actually took the bet on myself to find out. Yeah. That's what I, I, think, I was going to say, I don't, it feels like an unknown. I, I actually, yeah, I, I actually think I don't know. And it's just a question of, at some point, will I want to know that? And it just comes back to the motivators of like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see based on what, I, what I'm enjoying doing. Yeah, what do you um, want? What, I mean, one, one interesting reframe with all of these is they all seem to be framed through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. Of what is the right, like there feels like a lot of you're trying to get the right or wrong answer versus what does Alex want? What do you want? Like, have you like in that question, for example, do you want to be that CEO? I think the hard answer there is, I don't think I want to be that CEO, but I always just in the back of my head, I'm worried that it's an excuse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah it's a, totally. It's, a, it's it's an excuse that because I don't think I'm capable of it, I've created this story that I'm not good. Uh, that it's not what I like doing, and I could find someone else to do it. Right. Yeah, that so makes I guess sense. The, I mean, what if you, like, one thought for you, you've never actually scaled a company because, like you said, you, you maybe you didn't give yourself the chance to, is, like, I wonder if you just held this whole conversation slightly more lightly and just yeah. said, like, I don't know. I don't, today I'm not. Today it doesn't feel like that's what I want. Tomorrow I may want that. And if I, if I feel like I want that, like, one of the biggest things I've I've practiced with the co my coach is preference, like, how to listen to my own preferences. And it's so hard. And it takes a lot of time. And, and I'm still, okay, just, like, okay at it. But, Easiest way is like, are you trying to get an answer right? Or are you trying to just do what you want? And and if you today you wake up, you're like, I don't want, I don't think I want to be that. What about you? That may change, by the way. You could, you, you have the right in a year to go. Totally. Okay, I've launched two more companies. By the way, I have the same issue. I'm like, mine is a little bit different than yours, which is like, I've seen guys like Rick or Jeff Bezos. And I'm like, it seems so cool to run a large scale organization with a amazing culture with like this great campus. Like I get excited thing, imagining myself in that. And then I like look at what I've actually done and I'm really good at the zero to one. And I'm like, yeah. which part of me 
Like, am I lying to myself exactly. about what I yeah, want? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I actually say I want that. I, I, I think I want Gateway X to be a thousand person right. company or 10,000 person. And the question, it sounds like the question that you still think through and it's so hard to figure out is like, what's driving that want? Yeah. What's driving that want? Or, or it, I'm, mine's a little the reverse of yours. Am I okay settling at just launching a couple companies <laughs> that get it to eight figures in revenue, selling them and moving on with my, like, which is what I've sort of done to date. Yeah. Um, and maybe I don't actually want that. Maybe that's my ego that's wanting that. And maybe the reality of me wants to like build businesses, sell them and, and just chill, you know? Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be cool out over kind of the the lifetime of this show, just seeing just how your psychology changes around that question because it's inevitably going to evolve. Um, okay, last one before we hop. Fifth belief, skepticism and paranoia is a must to be a strong operator. The self-critique is, I'm too tolerant, which prevents me from building high-functioning businesses. The reframe is mm. a bomb-sniffing dog of business is key to find cracks before they become creators, but it doesn't have to be me. Again, assuming someone else can be the person who does it. And so just the the thought process here was my natural way is being level-headed, not being rattled, not thinking anything is that big of a deal, and we'll figure it all out. Right. I think this honestly comes from, again, just a place of, experiencing a really big trauma in my life right, when right. I was 18. And so everything in relation to that is a nothing burger. Totally. And so I think it can be really good when it comes to regulating emotions and instilling confidence in people in a business and not making people feel like they're on a roller coaster. But I worry that numbing myself from anxiety and paranoia makes me susceptible to missing cracks forming before they turn into craters. Hmm. So to me in a perfect world, I'm someone that's constantly thinking about where are the bottlenecks and the cracks in a business, but I'm also staying optimistic and level-headed when running the business. Yeah. This one feels like one of those classic false dichotomies that you have. It, not you, people have, right? Like, yeah. It, it, okay, I'm going to, like, why can't both be true? Forget about someone else for a second. Why can't you spot the important issues and address them without feeling paranoia paranoia has an anxiety element to it right exactly yeah um my dad would quote to me as a teenager and you know, only the paranoid survive that was like the famous andy grove <laughs> so i had to like it's i've worked on getting rid of that i'm not sure again i fully have but it almost feels like you have the, what everybody wishes for which is i see the issues i spot them i see they're important and then i like methodically drive to solve them but i don't have to fret about it. like why do you have to fret for that to that feels like the false dichotomy yeah, part yeah, of it. Yeah, I think the story is that you have to have that like tingly sense, that fret, like that feeling that that something's always chasing behind your back yeah. to even get to a place where mentally you can find and think of these things. Right. And I think you're right. Like I think you can probably just set up the right questions to ask in life or the, set aside the right time to find these things without feeling like Well, the like question is, you, have you missed issues because you're too chill? Because, you know, because it doesn't right. rattle you? Have I mean, have you actually? I mean, I don't think so. I don't and think I, so again, yeah. I would say, I would say in like the scaling part of Morning Brew, it wasn't necessarily my job to think of them. Right. But yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say probably not. Yeah. So if you, it, to me, it's like if you're missing things, if you're genuinely aloof to the point where you're missing important stuff, yeah, sure. Yeah. Pay more attention. But I don't know that you have to. And by the way, all of your, your, all of your things have a bit of an interesting underlying belief, which I think is common. So I just want to call it out, which is, I have to suffer to be successful. Yeah, yeah. I uh, If I'm not, if this is not hurting me, if I'm not whipping myself, then I can't be a successful businessman. That's just not allowed. 
it's two things. It's I have to suffer. Something has to be wrong for me to be successful. And I have to. I'm not uh, as good as my co-founder at a number of things. And because I don't feel like I'm as good as my co-founder at a number of things, it ex- it means there's weakness in how I am as an entrepreneur. Right. Exactly. And and the, therefore, and then it explains why I'm maybe not as big as the other guy's company or or some of those other pieces to it. Totally. But I think like imagine here's a fun one for you. Imagine like this is like such a if if we if I could go into your operating system, your hard drive, and delete those beliefs, who would you be? I'll think about How it. How much more I'll powerful would you if, if if I just said no, you can have fun and be successful and make make a lot of money and touch a lot of people, like yeah, I don't know. Doesn't that feel great? Yeah, no, it, it'd be pretty powerful. I uh, I I told you I'm out next week, but when uh, when I'm on the beach, I'll uh, I'll make it a journaling prompt one day. Um, this was a fun one. I like this episode. I like the format. Um, but I, we want to hear what you think. So uh, let us know what you think of this kind of like one idea, one track format, maybe a little bit shorter than our past one. Shoot us an email at thecrazyones at morningbrew.com and uh, we'll catch you all next time. And believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Later, guys. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.